0: Well this morning as we come to the fourth chapter of Philippians, we also arrive at the end of Paul's letter, a prescriptive letter, to a group of folks that I think he would call beloved, Um, and he's sharing with them what has the potential to be his very last words to them. Paul is in prison. We're not exactly certain the location, but he's in prison. He doesn't know the outcome of his detention. He could be flogged and possibly released. He could be whipped and then possibly killed. He just doesn't know what is next. And so as he writes this letter, he's writing final words to people who mean very much to him, that he cares very deeply for, that have had an impact in his life, as well as he having an impact in theirs. And he's living his life not knowing what comes next. Sound familiar? That's our lives, isn't it? We don't know what's next. We like to think we know what's going to happen tomorrow. We like to think we know what's going to happen next year. But we're not promised tomorrow and certainly not next year. So as he wraps up his final conversation with these beloved individuals... He does something I think is important, and I think something we need to be reminded of, is that God's grace storehouse is available. And it's right on tap for all of us. They had heard the gospel. Why? Because of the grace of God. They had remained faithful to the gospel due to the grace of God. And the great news is God's grace simply never runs out. That's just encouraging to me. God's grace is not limited, at least on his end. And God's grace can surely be tapped by each one of us as we live this life. There's five things I want you to see about God's grace this morning as we close out this book uh, and this series. Uh, The first thing I want you to notice is this, is His grace or God's grace shows through people. You know The way we find God's grace most often is through individuals, through people. Look at verse 10 and 11. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Now, what's the situation he's in? Sometime before this letter was written, Paul had sensed what was commonly described as the Macedonian call. Uh, Paul had been traveling and ministering in what is today western Turkey, uh, if you know your geography, and he is uh, coming up against the edge of the Aegean Sea, and his plan is to go north and to share the gospel headed up toward the Black Sea. The door closed, and God sends him a vision in the night to come across to Macedonia. And you're on, where's Macedonia? I thought we were talking about Philippi. Philippi is a city in Macedonia, and so he is... Answers that call, he crosses the water, he gets to this village, this community called Philippi, and he begins to share the gospel primarily, first of all, with a group of women who had gathered for worship. And then we saw a Philippian jailer come to faith, his entire family trusting Christ, and out of that establishes a congregation, a fellowship of saints gathered together. The very first church in Europe was the one at Philippi. And he is sharing with them these words, possibly for the last time in his life. Paul then had gone on and shared the gospel other places. He had gone to other places in what we call Greece today. But Philippi held a special place in his heart because they were that first place in a new land where he had shared the gospel and they trusted Christ. Paul had shared with them, The grace, and they had seen God's grace expressed to him through this process. And they were used by God to reveal grace to one another. The way we find grace in life, isn't it? Through each other, through one another. So as Paul finds himself in prison here, awaiting this verdict, he's faced with some really serious needs. And you're going, well, he's in prison. He should have all of his needs taken care of, three meals a day and a TV and Internet, right? Maybe today, but not back then. And that day, if you were in prison, somebody better come take care of your needs. Otherwise, you'd just starve. You'd be on your own. And so Paul is having this struggle in his life, this trial in his life, this difficulty in his life. And so the church at Philippi hears about it, and they go, we want to take care of your needs. So they sent a guy named Epaphroditus. We looked at him earlier in the, in the book. And goes and serves as the hands and feet of God, meeting the needs in the moment. And God shows his grace through people. In a very practical and tangible way. This leads me to this. We gotta choose to allow God to use our lives however He desires. Let me tell you, one of the things I'm learning over the years is that God will open opportunities for us. He will show us doors where we can step through and be the hands and feet of Christ, that we can speak the love of Christ, we can express the care of Jesus. And we'll sense those moments, won't we? But we have to take the step. We have to listen to the voice of God. See, our pathways in life become subject to His ways as we're following Him. Our desires become transformed by His desires as we're following Him. Our wants become changed in the light of His presence. And the idea of you and me being a follower of Jesus while also being master of our own destiny is untenable. It's unreasonable to think that I can be in charge when I have surrendered to Jesus. We have to choose to let God use us. See, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts, as we know, are higher than our thoughts. So how dare we try to tell God, God, this is what you can do with me. Instead, learn to listen to God and let him speak into us and do what he has for us. The Church of Philippi heard, Paul's, heard of Paul's needs and they realized we could meet that need. We could do something about this. Let's go do that. Now, how do you pick up a whole church and go a long distance, whatever the distance was, to meet the need. You can't all go, right? So they decided they're going to send one fellow with a gift, with an offering, with a service for him. And so they did that, and they sent him along the way. And I want you to understand, as we become more in tune with the Holy Spirit of God leading us and speaking to us and we hear his voice, we begin to notice there's opportunities to minister, to be the people of God. Obedience to leading opens the door to the next step. Second, I want you to see this. His grace not only shows through people, it expands through faithfulness. Look at verses 12 and 13. I know, Paul says, how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We all like that verse, don't we? I can do all things. We tend to think of it as I can do it. Well, he's What he's saying is I'm going to open the door and I'm going to provide for you to do what you need to do. What Paul then shares here is I think is an interesting word. God uses the circumstances we find in faithfulness to expand his grace in our lives. Let me me say that again. As we are obedient to his call, as we hear his voice, as we see him work in our lives, as we take those steps, here's what happens as we step forward faithfully. He will expand grace in our lives. He will bring more grace to that moment. As Paul chose to remain faithful, he saw grace of God growing more and more and more. And all along the way, he discovered the externals were way less important than the internals. In other words, as he remained faithful, he would find faithfulness growing. I remember uh, an old preacher used to say, faithfulness begets faithfulness i got several old preacher sayings in my head this morning. Another one is, if we do right, we'll feel right. Often we say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like it. Can I tell you, there's many a day that I don't feel like it, but when we get up and do the faithfulness, then the feelings come along behind it. We have to take those steps. Well, remember, Paul had been facing trial after trial, hardship after hardship, difficulty after difficulty. Hey, he even had victory after victory sometimes. And his doctrine of life, listen, was not centered on the idea that everything has to be good, everything has to be successful, everything has to be right, and everything has to be a win. He believed that wherever he was, if it was where God was leading him and he was being faithful to God's calling, that was the right place. I got to tell you we're going to get to that in a moment but he says this I know how to be brought low I know how to abound those are two extremes in every uh, in any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of facing much and little abundance and need he he refused to live with the belief that if it's hard it must not be from God he says sometimes God will take us into the hardest seasons of life the most difficult moments the most sh- Terrible things we can experience so that he can bring a victory in the midst of it. We say, oh God, but it can't be from you because it's hard. It can't be from you because it's difficult. It can't be from you because I don't know how to do it. I think that's when God works the most is when we let him carry us through. Don't buy the idea of an easy victory after easy victory is the way of Christ. Paul said, I've experienced suffering. I've experienced trials. I've experienced pain. And through it all, I've experienced this, growing grace. It expands as I'm faithful. This leads me to this thought. Grace, God's grace abounds not only in victories, but also in defeats. I would almost rewrite that this morning to say this. God's grace abounds not only in victories, but especially in defeats. Because that's when we find God working sometimes the most. I think there's a recurring theme in American Christianity that says this. um, When trials come, it must be because we're doing something wrong. If things aren't going well, it must be because we're being unfaithful. If things are a mess, it's because we didn't do it right. i got to tell you something. Sometimes that is absolutely true. But sometimes it's not. Unfaithfulness can surely bring about trials, but there are also times when you can be fully committed to God, seeking to hear His voice, trying to be as obedient to what He has for you, and He will still allow hardship into our lives, and you'll face trials. Paul did. If you look at Paul's list, he had a couple of them in the, in the New Testament, of the trials he faced. I mean, he, the poor guy was shipwrecked, he was left for dead, he was stoned. Uh, left in jail. I mean, which one do you want? I mean, I don't like any of those. Paul must have been unfaithful to God. No, Paul was completely faithful to God. And God still allowed those things to happen in his life. Jesus talked about this, I think, when he says this in John, uh, Luke 16. One who's faithful in very little is also faithful in... One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. As we choose faithfulness, as we allow God's grace to flow through us as we're faithful, we will find God allowing us to be faithful and faithful and faithful. I could really mess up the grammar here if you want. We could be faithfuler and faithfuler and faithfuler. We experience his grace more and more and more. Third, his grace flows through fellowship. Look at verse 14 to 18. long section here, but, but but walk with me. Yet it was kind of you to share. And I'm going to stop here because the word share is where we get the thought of, of fellowship. The word share, it, it means more than just I gave you something. It, the, the Greek word here carries the idea of having fellowship with and he's not talking about a baptist fellowship with a potluck he's talking about walking together in relationship sharing the burden sharing the concern sharing the joy sharing the victory sharing the defeat sharing all this it was kind of you to share my trouble what was his trouble hello prison he's in jail Doesn't know where he's going to get out or if he's going to get out. He's in jail. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, Philippi is where? In Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even Thessalonica. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but i seek the fruit that increases to your credit i have received full payment and more i am well supplied having received from our your friend our friend epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering offering a sacrifice acceptable pleasing to god paul then speaks to his beloved in philippi about the grace that flowed through their fellowship to him Remember, Paul, even though he's moved on from the community, he still has a relationship with them. They were on a major trade route. There would be times, I think, when Paul would come through that area just going from one place to the next. He might have stopped for a night or a week or a month, but I think he's at least been back once or twice in his ministry. And as a direct result of this relationship, they have chosen, they have at church, to decide they're going to support Paul. They want to help you out. Remember, One of the earliest members of the church of Philippi was a woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple. That means this. She was loaded. That was a wealthy item back in that day. She had resources. And so she decided that they would have to stay at her house. That was a big deal back then. She says, you're going to come to my house. That means there was a relationship, I believe, there between Paul and Lydia that was godly and, and moral and honest. And Paul is going, okay, I'm going on to share the gospel. And Lydia says, and the church of Philippi says, here's the deal. You're going, but we're going to support you. We're going to send you resources. We're going to help you as you go share the gospel throughout our region. We want you to know that we're here for you. It was very kind to of them, wasn't it, to share in his ministry They couldn't all do the ministry, but they could support him as he went. They couldn't all travel to where Paul was in prison, but they could support him while he was there. And as Paul was waiting this verdict as a result of his imprisonment, the church at Philippi sent Epaphroditus on a long, dangerous journey. Indications in the letter are he almost died from the trip. It was tough. But their act allowed God's grace to flow through their fellowship from God to them, to Paul. Their gifts allowed them to participate in the grace of God. Paul was blessed. They were blessed. And more importantly, the grace of the kingdom of God flowed into more places. What you may ask was the gift. Again, I've already shared this with you. People in jail on that day without support really didn't have a good time. (laughs) They needed support. Their gift was designed to meet the physical needs, but ultimately it was showing the grace of God flowing in their world. That leads me to this thought God's grace flows through us when we live in fellowship. Why did the people at Philippi care about Paul enough to do what they did? Because they were in fellowship, they had a relationship. How do we live in fellowship? When you think about Paul and the Philippian church, I, I always, I, y'all know, I, I, I have to be careful not to go too far in the history. But I want you to catch this because there's a really interesting dynamic going on between the people at the Philippian church and Paul. They really couldn't have been any more different as people. I mean, you look at them and you go, "What do they have in common?" Paul was from Judea. They were from Macedonia. Paul was Jewish. They were pagan. They were uh, uh, secular. Paul was a traveling evangelist and tent maker. They lived in, and he traveled from community to community, sharing the gospel, working different jobs. They lived in one community. They did the same job. They lived close to their mamas and daddies and grandparents, and they had their grandkids and their kids. Everybody was close. Paul by himself. Yet the thing they found in common was a collegiality, a community, a fellowship, a holy calling of God. That's what brought them together. They've answered the holy call of God to follow him that results in this common thread running through their lives. What brought Paul and the church of Philippi together? Jesus. You know, in our day, we have a variety of political positions, social standings, economic levels, and so many things that have the potential, don't they, to divide us? It's easy to divide. I mean, let me tell you, it is easy to find a difference between me and you. It's not hard. We're 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 all different, and some of us more different than others. You know what I mean? But we're all different. But our fellowship, our unifying thread, is who. Jesus, that's what allows us to come together. Paul told the struggling, struggling church at Corinth, he said this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good, great, good, good work. God's gift to us is allows us, is that He wants us to work together and allows us to work together as we are in fellowship with each other. Whenever you find a church that's got a fractured fellowship, you find a church that struggles with doing the things that God wants it to do. Because we're heading in a thousand different directions. One ancient writer, St. Augustine, if you're interested, said this. Grace is, is given not because we have done good works, but grace is given in order that we may be able to do them. God has given us his grace so we can do the things he calls us to so grace grows through people, expands through faithfulness, flows through the fellowship, it also glows in submission. Now let me tell you, that word right there is a big trip for most of us, isn't it? We go, I ain't gonna submit to nothing. That's usually how we say it, by the way. You know make me do I'm not here to make you do anything. Did you know God's not here to make you do anything either? He calls you into a relationship. He calls you into a fellowship. He calls you into an intimate situation with him. And the way we find that is as we submit or as we turn our will over, if that's more palatable to you, to him. Look what he says in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, we've seen grace flows through people, expands in faithfulness, flows in fellowship, but it glows. It really begins to glow when we live in submission. Now, I've got to tell you, our culture has a real aversion to that word submission. We don't like that. I don't like that. I know you don't like that. But it's exactly the relationship that God calls us to be in with Him. He doesn't call us to be His boss. He doesn't call us to tell him what to do. He doesn't call us to so we can instruct him on how to be a good God. He says, I want you to follow me. I want you to submit to me. I want you to give your life to me. Not to me as your pastor, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the beloved at Philippi, God will supply every need they have based on how good they are. Is that what he said? No. He does it according to his riches and glory. Talk about an amazing promise. God of the universe, as we grow in commitment of submission, then we begin to glow brighter and brighter and brighter, and his love shows through us more, and the light of Jesus is revealed in us. I suspect the church of Philippi was living through some actually pretty good times. From what you can tell in this letter, they didn't have any major struggles, any major problems. I mean, even these two ladies that are having a disagreement are on the same page faith-wise that were mentioned earlier in the text. And so, by choosing to follow the ways of God in ever deepening levels, God is revealed. And, and, and again, we see that word submission and we recoil. We go, oh, wait, wait, I have democracy. I have freedom. But the call to God is to be people who say, I'm going to live in submission. Submission to who? Oh, get this. Submission to God, right? But also submission to our authorities, to our marriage partners, to our husbands, our wives, to our parents. I thought I maybe mean, a parent would have amen that one. The Bible talks a lot about submission. Follower of Jesus, you've been given in this relationship a spiritual gift whereby you're able to bless. And as we submit to Christ, he allows those gifts to grow in us and develop in us, and they're there so that we can bless the world around us. But if we don't submit, let God's grace flow, it we'll won't work. Leads me to this. God has gifted each of his followers to be a conduit of God's grace. You're a conduit of God's grace. Listen, when you trusted God in salvation, he did a couple of things. One, he forgave you of every one of your sins. Amen? He put you on a new pathway, new destination. Amen? That's a good thing, right? But he also did this. He embedded in your life at least one spiritual gift. What's my spiritual gift? I don't know. But if you're a child of God, you got one. And there's a list and lists and lists of them in the New Testament. So there's a lot of stuff out there. We don't have time to deal with it. But there's things like mercy or prophecy or administration or music or any long list of gifts. But he didn't give you that gift to bless you primarily, though you will be blessed In the process, he placed those gifts in your life so you can be a vessel of God for his grace to flow to others. What does that look like? See, some have this gift of hospitality. That is one of the gifts, by the way. They can put together a fellowship. They can put together a, 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 a service where they care for people's physical needs, make people feel welcome when they walk in the room. And some of us, we just go, hey, I'm glad you're here. And you go, okay, we're done. Some have the gift of, of music. They get up and they share musically. I'm so grateful for these folks that sit behind me every Sunday and get to be on the Internet with me. Because they have a gift that, well, most of us don't have, right? And they bless us with that music. Peter said this about gifts in 1 Peter 4. He said, as each has received a gift, use it to bless yourself. You all with me? You see the text? Use it to what? Serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace as we share what god has given us as we allow that spiritual gift to be used we will bless others and here's the fun thing as others do that we get blessed too one more thought and you're thinking you're probably thinking oh lee this morning i'm having a tough time with some words Um, the last section of this book is a thought and an instruction. And some say, oh, it's an add-on at the end. It's just a way to say goodbye and we're done. I don't think so. I think it ties in. Look at these last three verses. His grace then bestows through communication. How do we, how do we pull it all together? Now, let me remind you, just earlier in this chapter, there were two ladies uh, who were having a disagreement. Uh, and Syntyche. I'm not going to re-preach that message. We're not going to go there. It's on file if you want to look at it. But here's the thing. There was a conflict that was brewing between them, and it had the potential to damage the fellowship of the church, to damage the effectiveness of the church. And so Paul, knowing this, he comes in the letter and says, okay, God's grace is great. It's working. It it shows through people. It's, it's, It's expanding through faithfulness. It's flowing through the fellowship. It glows as we submit to Christ. But let me tell you what, if we ever miss this last one, we miss the total picture of what grace is all about. Grace bestows through communication. Now, what do you mean by that? These two ladies had this conflict. It was a a disagreement over a non-essential matter. I'm convinced of that more than than ever after having studied the book because they they weren't disagreeing over theology. If they were, Paul would have addressed it. They were disagreeing over something that at the end of the day was a preference. And their dispute over this non-essential matter threatened to blow up into a full-blown church fight. So in the grace of Jesus, he shares a word about greeting every saint. Look how the text begins here in verse 21. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I think what he's trying to tell the church at Philippi is this. Be sure and speak to one another. Be sure and share concern for each other. Be sure and speak positive words to each other. And surely don't try to ignore each other and treat each other like they don't exist. Instead of allowing a disagreement over non-essential matters to damage their fellowship, they needed to let God's grace be bestowed upon them and those around them through communication. Why? Because communication is how we find understanding. Lack of communication allows us to make presuppositions and conclusions that may not be true. Paul says, don't let that happen. Walk together. Talk together. Communicate with each other and let God's grace be bestowed on you. And this is my last thought I want you to give you with before we finish. Real life is found as we walk together in the Lord Jesus. Over and over and again in the pages of the letter to the Philippians, he talked about one thing, joy. Joy, joy, rejoice, rejoice, rejoicing, joy, joy. He kept saying it again and again and again. He wanted them to see they were headed in the right direction. But they also need to let God's grace continue to expand among them. And let me tell you something, my friends, that's what we need as well. To see God's grace expand more and more and more among us. Listen, our fellowship is surely not perfect. But we have a few things going for us. As a result of the presence of Jesus, we can lift high the name of Christ. Individuals find new life through ministry God has for us collectively. And an impact on the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of God can be made. Our challenge, dear church, beloved, is to be a people who decide to walk together, to release God's love together, to experience God's forgiveness together, and to live up to the high standard of God together. Jesus told us the way to live this when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, light of life. So as a follower of Jesus, we walk in the light as he's in the light. We walk together, and we become more effective. The invitation this morning is rather simple. The way to live in the light is to meet Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity. For many of us, it's not that decision that needs to be made. We've already done that. The decision is, am I going to live a life surrendered to Christ so he can let his grace flow in me or not? The altar will be available this morning. Uh, I'll be available to pray with you if you'd like. But I would love for us to be ever more a church that God's grace is free to flow through us. To each other and to a community that so desperately needs it. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. Father, we are a collection of fallen, broken, flawed people. There's not one among us who has not sinned. But in Christ, we have been forgiven. In Christ, we have been given new life. In Christ, we have been called to a higher plane, and a greater place of service. And I pray, God, that we would do that. I pray for those in this place who need to make some type of decision for you publicly. God, give them the faith to make that step. Father, for others, just maybe the moment to stop and say, God, I'm tired of living the life of selfishness, lack of submission. I don't feel your grace. I pray, God, that we would turn to you and let you break our hearts in Jesus' name.